Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today, that we may learn more about your word, that we may come closer to you and be representative part of your family of Christ. Lord, so we, we open our hearts and our minds, and we hope the sounds we make with our voices will be pleasing to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the announcements have been rolling by, but we want to welcome Bill Hatch today. He'll be bringing us our message, so thank you very much, Bill. Let us worship our Lord. Good morning. Prayer and patience, or patience and prayer. We do not cease to pray for you, Colossians 1.9. Some years ago, a woman wrote to Billy Graham and that she had pleaded for 10 years for the conversion of her husband, but he was more hardened than ever. Billy advised her to continue in prayer and plead for his salvation. Sometimes later, sometime later, he had gotten word from her. Uh, her husband was gloriously and miraculously converted in the 11th year of her prayer vigil. How thankful she was that she had kept praying. Scripture says, pray without ceasing. This should be the motto of every true believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Never stop praying, no matter how dark the circumstances are or how helpless they may seem. Your responsibility isn't to tell God when he must act or even how he must act. Your responsibility is to just simply pray without ceasing, trusting him to act according to his perfect will. And the hope for today, frustrations come when we take on more burden than we were meant to bear. We do not have to understand why something happens or why or how it can be fixed. We are to pray and trust God to do what only he can do. Well, Kathy would normally tell you to stand up, so you may, if you would like to stand and join us. Jesus Christ. 
Oh, oh, oh. 
Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 4. Answer me when I call to you, O God who declares me innocent, free me from my troubles, have mercy on me, and hear my prayer. How long, you people, ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless ac accusations? How long Will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. And if you'd like to stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art <coughs> hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow, follow me, where he leads me I will with him. 
Testament reading today <clears throat> comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know what we will be like, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation to keep themselves pure, just as, as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, but the, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. If you'll join us in a responsive reading. Guide us in the path of discipleship, so that as you have blessed us, we may be a blessing for others, bringing the promise of the kingdom near by our words and deeds. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the gifts that are given today are given with an open heart. We know all belongs to you and that you have just entrusted it to us. You've entrusted certain things to us, Lord, but you do ask us to give back, to give back freely and to give back 
generously as you have done to us. So, Lord, we ask that the gifts that you give be used to further your kingdom and to help others come to know your Son. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll be, I'll be 65 in a couple months, so... I know, I'm just a young punk, and, uh, but it'll be me that I would never live past 50. Something about my attitude in my mouth, I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that. So I figure every year is a bonus year. Um, we're going to be talking about forgiveness today. I, uh, I always like to say that I like to preach on what God is teaching me. And uh, he's really been hammering my heart about judgment and forgiveness in the past couple months. And uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at, the subject of forgiveness today. But before we really get started, let's pray. Father, these are lessons you've been teaching me, and I'm excited to share them with people. And especially here today in your house. My biggest prayer right now for me is that I'd stay out of my own way, and that you would let your word be spoken through me. In your name, amen. Um, Let me give you kind of an idea who I am. I have been a truck driver for the past 44 years. Uh, Yeah, I know, I know. And uh, it is what it is. Uh, I have been married to my lovely wife for 38 years. She is not here today. Uh, She is home uh, at her mother's house with uh, her mom just had a hip replacement. So she's gotta have 24 hour kind of care there. So, um, but I would love for you to meet her because if you ever wanted to meet a forgiving person, that would be my wife, because she has been married to me for 38 years. Um, The other thing that I want to tell you is that I'm a dog person. I am not a cat person. I firmly believe that cats are the spawn of Satan. They are demons in disguise, and they have this unique talent to gravitate to the one person in the house that does not want them. <laughs> but I have, I have another reason to add these animals to a list of things that are part of the curse of original sin. In, uh, in 2015, New York Magazine published a thing called 17 Things We Know About Forgiveness. The second thing was, in the article was, cats never forgive. Scientists have observed conciliatory behavior in many different animal species. The bulk of the research has been on primates like bonobos, I had to look it up, it's a pygmy chimpanzee, I didn't know that, mountain gorillas and chimps, who often follow confrontations with friendly behavior like embracing or kissing. Scientists have observed similar behaviors in non-primates like goats and hyenas. The only species that has so far failed to show outward signs of reconciliation are domestic cats. Yeah, that's it. Now, to further substantiate the point, my, my daughter-in-law came out at Christmas time and she, uh, she is a cat person, and she's a Yankees fan. And I still, I told my son, next marriage you're gonna have to vet your wife better, that's all I can say. But um, she 
cat out with her that had, had crawled up in her lap at somebody's party, and so she adopted it. And uh, we found out later it was pregnant. So um, if you walk past her, she would just reach out and wham with her claws into your leg. And uh, I didn't know that print was so wide. Claws were out. Uh, but they just, they're just part of original sin. I can't explain it any better than that. So um, enough about cats. But like I said, today it's going to be about forgiveness. And if you'll flip in your Bibles to Matthew 18 and just put a, put a marker there. Because um, that's, that's where we're going to spend the most of our time, but I want to head in a different direction. First, I'm going to give you a very important application right now. First point of application, if I was to just end the service right now and let you go, this would be what you could walk home with. We're not cats. Because forgiveness for a believer is not an option. We have to forgive. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, Paul writes, and I use the New American Standard Version, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And then in Colossians 3.13 he writes, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then Proverbs 19.11, it says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook a transgression. Did you realize that when you forgive, you show God's glory to somebody? When you forgive, God shines through. I never thought about that. But that's something that only really humans can do. And then I thought, well, that's really good, but what does it mean to forgive? And I wanted a biblical definition of forgiveness. I looked at some of the secular definitions of forgiveness, and oh my gosh, they weren't even close to what forgiveness really is. And, uh, and so I did a, a Google search on biblical forgiveness. What a fun time that was, especially when you have ADHD. There are so many rabbit trails you could go down. Uh, but here's, here's the one I found that I really liked. It says, definition for forgiveness could be giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. It's impossible to live on this fallen planet without getting hurt, offended, misunderstood, lied to, or rejected. Learning how to respond properly is one of the basics of the Christian life. How we act towards that person may not change. It doesn't mean that we put ourselves back into a harmful situation or that we suddenly accept or approve the person's continued wrong behavior. It simply means we release them from the wrong they committed against us. We forgive them because God forgave us. So the first place I want to start as we kind of unpack the idea of forgiveness is something that, that I don't hear talked about a lot in the church. We always hear about forgiving other people, 
forgiving the people that wronged you. But I ran across a statistic years ago. It's probably, a it's probably changed, but this is what I remember. That up to 75% of people that were in mental, mental institutions could be released today if they knew that they were forgiven. They choose to live with the guilt, whether it's real or not. We struggle most, I think the we struggle most forgiving is ourselves. And I speak from experience on that one. Um, Unu, could you bring me my water? It's sitting down there. Please. Thank you. We're told in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we no longer are under the penalty of sin. We are no longer under the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin because we can choose not to sin. We don't have to sin. But we, we have the unique ability to dwell on our past sins and end up acting like we are still in bondage to sin. With guilty feelings, we can accept the fact that we are forgiven in Christ, or we can believe the devil's lie that we are still guilty and therefore should feel guilty. That should never happen as a believer. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, and they teach again, each man, and they shall not teach again. Helps if you read the whole passage there. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the great Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And then Psalms 103.12, he writes, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, if God has made it a point to not remember your sins, to forget them, to fling them as far as the east is from the west, and that's in a straight line, unless you're using Google GPS, and then it could be different altogether. Um, we, should, we should forgive ourselves. You know, If the creator of the universe, the, guy that, the God that made us, the God that sent his son to die for us, to shed his blood, to break free from the power of sin, he won't remember our sins. He won't hold them against us. Why do we do it? I, I found this quote, and I, and I really, really enjoy it because it's actually self-descriptive of me. Sadly, there are some people who won't forgive themselves, that is, they, who don't move beyond their past because they really don't want to forget their former sins. Because they're fun. Well, they were at the time. 
Um, some choose rather to continue getting vicar a vicarious thrill out of reliving the past sins in their mind, which, by the way, is a sin and needs to be confessed. That's no extra charge for that bit. But every time we mentally relieve our sin, we commit that sin over again. <laughs> you know, it goes back to the whole Matthew 5.28 thing, where, you know, if you do it in your mind, guess what? If this is happening in a Christian's life, the pattern of sin guilt can be destructive and never-ending. Bringing up past failures, accusing Accusing us and saying we are unworthy or disqualified for ministry is the tool the enemy uses to con condemn us and paralyze us. Revelation 12, and I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Who accuses them before our God day and night? The enemy is very, very busy. His whole goal in life is to tear us apart, is to paralyze us so that we do not do God's work. Whether through whatever means is possible. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. He is day and night accusing us before the throne of God, and he's, he's flinging stuff at us to get us to, to, uh, to not do the work of the Father. The other reason that we want to forgive ourselves is that remembering that our sins are forgiven should make it easier to forgive the sins of others. Forgiveness should remind us of the great Savior who forgave us, undeserving as we will always be. We will never be able to deserve what Christ gave us on the cross, that forgiveness. Never. We won't be able to pay him back for it. Anything. We have given such a great debt. And by forgiving, learning to forgive uh, ourselves and others should draw us closer to him. Jesus Christ is our advocate and will speak to the Father in our defense. So when, when, when Satan is up there, he, he says, Tom, did you see what Tom did today? Oh yeah, and then Bill was there too. You know, did you see what he did today? And Jesus is going, well, stop. Just stop. He's forgiven. Go away. Bother somebody that cares. Jesus applies his righteousness to us, reckons it to us as righteousness, and we cannot be condemned. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is now, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit and life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is now condemnation. Write that on a card, put it on your windshield in your car, tape it to your computer, tape it to your forehead, 
whatever it takes to help you remember, you don't stand condemned. You are forgiven. Unfortunately, the reality of our freedom from sin does not always bring freedom from guilty feelings. And for me, that's the biggest way Satan attacks me. Remember what you did when you were five? And I do, actually. I do remember a lot from five years old. I was a little turd growing up, just for the record. Quiet. <laughs> because after we, the sins are forgiven, the memory of them remains. And Satan will always throw those back up in our face. We'll always take them, and like I said, well, there was that time that you were seven, and you lied about a guy in school calling your mom a name, which I did. And uh, I got swatted for it. I went to a Christian school at the time, so. They believed in corporal punishment. Satan never misses an opportunity to point a finger and accuse us and, and in, in front of God for our faults and our failures. Now, before we move into Matthew 18, which is really where I want to camp today, I want to give you a really good word of encouragement. We're going to sin. How's that? How's that for a word of encouragement? We're going to sin. But the encouragement that we have is that we have an advocate that defends us. and aids in our recovery when we do sin. Only we as believers can make that statement. Nobody else can. We have the ultimate advocate. Jesus is our advocate, our brother, our bridegroom, our Lord, our king, our friend. And the best part is he sits right now, right now at this very minute, at the right of the Father, with power and rule, over every dominion and name to be named, not even, even in this age and the age to come. That's a rough paraphrase of uh, Philippians. Nothing can touch us unless we let it happen. We are saved, but we still sin. And we still uh, grieve the heart of the Father when we do that. But when we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Stop dwelling on the past. Stop letting what you did in the past prevent you from working in the future. Now, with all that being said, flip to Matthew 18. Uh, and we're going to be looking at uh, 18 through 20, 18, 21 through 35. You know, Peter gets a bad rap in Scripture. I just want to say that. He gets a bad rap in Scripture. Because every now and then, he comes up with a really, really good question. And he does at the start of verse 21. Now, Jesus has just spent uh, the past section, 15 through 20, talking about how to deal with sins in the church. And how do you do that? You go to him by yourself. Then you take two other witnesses. Then you take them before the elder board. And if they still not, choose not to repent... You kick them out. Hatch paraphrase version. So, so Peter, Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. 
Now, picture this. They're sitting in the house of Capernaum. Probably, you know, and they've got the little kids up there. Jesus has got a little baby in his arm. And, and uh, we don't know how much time elapsed from the time that Jesus, from 19 to 20, or 20 to 21. But he comes, and it's a great question. Okay, how often do we forgive somebody? You know, um, the Jewish tradition is that you should, you should forgive for the same infraction three times. That's it, three times. And the, and the Jewish rabbis got this from, from uh, chapter 1 of the prophet Amos, where he says, and I think I've got all the verses up there, yeah. Basically, he's talking to these three, four, five places, and he says, for three transgressions, I will forgive you. The fourth one, you're toast. And so, the, uh, the rabbis at that time, um, do I have those quotes up there from the rabbis? I don't think so. Anyway, um, one of them is a guy named Rabbi, and I, I see this and I'm going to say it wrong because I want to say the Mexican version, Jose, Joe, Jose, for lack of better, Ben Hanea from the first century B.C. He who begs his forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. Um, Rabbi, uh, again, Jose Ben Judah, uh, right around the middle of the uh, uh, first, be the third century. If a, com- a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If he commits a, an offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits an offense the third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive. So, Peter, he, he says, how about seven times? That's like more than twice more. Um, and he's, he's, waiting for, he's waiting for Jesus. I can just picture this because I can picture myself doing it. Oh, Peter, that is wonderful that you think that two times as much or more than that would be great. Congratulations. That's marvelous. You are so magnanimous. So wonderful. How does your wife live with you? Um, that's not quite how Jesus responded. He says, in basically what Peter would say, an unthinkable response, 70 times 7. 70 times 7. Which for the record is 490. I was educated in Southern California, so I apologize if I got that wrong. But, um, And then in Luke, uh, look at it again. Luke 17, he, he records a event again where he says, if a brother sins, rebuke him. If, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, returns to you seven times a day, and repents, forgive him. Now, how many of you have sinned against somebody more than 490 times in your life? Okay, the rest of you are lying and you need to confess that. And, and Peter's just, I mean, I can just picture his jaw probably drops 490 times. How am I supposed to keep track of that? You know, do I keep a little book on everybody I know? Oh man, you're, you're right close, that's 489, one more and you're out of the game. 
you know. And trust me, my, my mom would have been that way. Um, I like to say I come from a long line of unforgiving and grudge holders. So in order to help Peter understand what he's talking about, he now uses a parable. He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he begun, he, brought, he began to settle them. And there was one to him who brought him, owed him 10,000 talents. Now, from everything I read while I was looking at this this week, the way this is written, it should be he embezzled 10,000 talents. They're, they're, the way it's written, it gives the idea that he stole from his employer, which is not good. He says, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. Therefore, the, the slave, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord forgave the slave, and the Lord felt, of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I want to, I wanna, you know, 10,000 talents, you know, how much is that? Well, a talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. One denarii was equal to one day's pay. So 10,000 talents would be 60 million days of wages. 60 million. Which would have taken him approximately 164,383 years and some change to pay off. Now, what? I heard somebody say something. Sorry. It's probably just the voices in my head. Um, if I'm lucky, I'll make it as old as my dad, which was somewhere between 96 and 108. So that, uh, that's not close enough to paying off this debt. But the slave goes, I'll pay it off. I can get it paid off. And the king says, you know what? It's not going to happen. Your debt is so great, your debt is so huge that you're never going to pay it off, and I understand that. So I'm forgiving you of your debt. You no longer owe me anything. The slate is clean. So right away, when the slave did that, he went out and extended compassion and forgiveness to everyone that he met. Almost. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience on me, I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. A hundred denarii, hundred days wages. 60 million denarii, or was it 380, 100 and some odd thousand years that it was going to take to pay him off? Not even comparable. The, the other slave's debt was so small compared to what he was forgiven of. There should have been compassion. I was just forgiven so much right now. 
I should have forgiven him. But he didn't remember that compassion and doesn't show his fellow slave that same consideration. So one thing that, that, um, that everybody should learn, if you don't know it by now, you don't get away with nothing, especially nowadays with camera phones. My, my wife works at Desert Christian Schools. My kids went through Desert Christian. And they always told me, I hate the fact that mom is on campus. She knows everything. You know, I don't even get a chance to come home and tell her. And she knows about it. And I would, I would tell them, you know, let me just be clear about this. Nana, my mom, I could do something at my neighbor's house right next door, 30 feet away. I could do something there, and by the time I got to the front door, she was behind it with a belt because she knew. I don't know how. Moms are amazing creatures, and, and they just have this network. So I said, it wouldn't have mattered where a mom worked. She would have known before you knew you even did it. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came reported it to the Lord. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, you, hash paraphrase, you are an idiot. I forgave you the debt because you entreated me, you begged me, you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had that same mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed. His wife, his children, everything that he owned was now gone. His wives and kids were slaves. There was no freedom left. Now, and then a third, and, and he, and, but then he says, so my heavenly father shall also do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your, from your heart. Okay, I struggle with that one, you know. But then I think, wait, it's a parable, so you got to take it. You can't just pull that verse out. You got to use it in the context of the parable. You can't just take one part of it and make a doctrine. So these, these are kind of the particulars I got out of that parable. Our sins are great. Our sins are great. Some of us excel at sinning more than others. I am one of those. I am good at it. I always kid my wife that if there was a way to get into heaven by discipline and work, she could do it. I, on the other hand, would take all the extra grace that you guys don't need for me. God freely forgives them. When we come to him and say, Jesus, Father, I screwed up. I did this. Forgive me. And then he wipes the slate clean. No other reason other than the fact that we asked him to do it. That's love. That the offenses committed against us by our brethren are comparatively small to what we have committed against God. 
And that's one thing that I, that, that's not in my notes, but I wanted to make it in my notes, is that when, we, if I do something against Wayne, who am I really sinning against? God. David in Psalms 32, when he talks about, he's admitting that he, you know, did what he did with Bathsheba and killed her husband and all this other stuff. He's against you alone have sinned. Nathan tells him that. In, in, uh, in Samuel, he says, you have sinned against God and given the enemies an opportunity to mock God. So, by sinning against Wayne, I'm really sinning against God. That's all there is to it. Wayne's just there for no extra charge. And then, that we should, therefore, most freely forgive them because we have freely been forgiven. And that it's got to come from your hearts. It's not just words, but it should be really, truly how we feel. So, the burning, the burning, app, the burning thing I know you guys are wondering about, what on earth am I going to take home today? What's going to be the point that I'm going to travel home? Well, i got five of them for you. First, forgiveness is a choice we make. It's a deliberate choice. The, the master made a deliberate choice after the slave pleaded with him to forgive him of everything that he owed with a debt that can never be repaid. The servant made a deliberate choice and was unwilling to forgive. Going back to the beginning of, of this, forgiveness is not an option for us. It's just not. We have to. Second, forgiveness has to come from the heart. Compassion for the slave. That's why he made the choice that he did. It has to come from here. Because that's where it came from with Jesus. His love. His caring for us. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no consequences. What happened to David when Nathan confronted him? He lost his baby. The sword would never depart from his house. And what he did in secret would be done from the rooftops. And I believe it was his son Absalom that did that. There are still consequences to a sin. You can be forgiven, but the consequences will remain. Number four, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Now don't run me out on a rail when I, when I say that. There's a point to this. Once we've made that decision to forgive, we're not like God where we can throw the sins as far as the east from the west and not remember them. They're here. They're here. And I know from experience that as long as they're here, I'm going to hold the grudge against somebody. I'm really, really good at it. I've had almost 65 years of experience at it. One of the things, this is one of the big things God's been convicting me on in the past couple months. 
Holding a grudge is like me taking poison and expecting Wayne to drop. It won't happen. But we have to remind ourselves, especially when it comes to forgiving ourselves. When he throws that up, you have to say, wait, 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 I'm forgiven. And in case you haven't read the end of the book, Jesus wins. So go away, you bother me. But we will have to do that every time it comes up. Because if we don't, that gives Satan a foothold into our lives. And that does not lead anywhere good. And finally, the fifth point is forgiveness is a process. Um, I, I, uh, I'm named after my first name, William, which I do not like because I was named after my mother's uncle who was a child abuser. His granddaughters, my mother, me. Um, and uh, I hated him. I, I think I know now why my mom bought him cigarettes every Christmas. Um, he want, she wanted him to die, but wanted it to go slow or something. I don't know. But when it finally came out, when my mom finally asked me about something, and I went, would this have been about this time of my life? Well, yeah, okay, yeah, it happened. I have to remind, I, it's a process that I have to go because every time it comes up, I can feel just the, the anger and the shame of what happened come up. And I have to stop and say, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I don't have to live up to that legacy just because it's my name. I am forgiven. And it's been years since I've been doing that. My mom and my, that uncle are, are both did, and it wasn't until after that that I finally sat down with God one day and says, Father, they're dead, but I gotta forgive them because it's killing me. The shame is unbearable. The guilt is unbearable. But I have to, every time it comes up in my head, I have to sit down and say, this is all forgiven. And it's a process. It doesn't happen as often. And it will still go until all my bonus years from my father's prediction run out. But the neat thing is, we are forgiven. And as we have been forgiven, we need to forgive. Because what we've done to sin against God is minuscule. I mean, is, what we've done to other people is minuscule to what God has forgiven us. Something so great. And he loves us. Years ago, I was involved in a serious accident. Um, and uh, um, I, uh, I turned a truck over, ran over a Camaro. That wasn't my fault. But uh, Camaros make lousy jump ramps. But I remember people coming up to me asking me, did your life flash before your eyes? And I always like to say, well, I don't know. I don't have much of a life, or the life I have just kind of sucks or something. I don't know. But nothing. I remember thinking, I'm going to miss my wife and kids. But there was no fear. Because I was forgiven. I knew that if I died at that particular moment, right into the arms of Jesus, it don't get no better than that. You know, 
Remember, we are forgiven, and we are to forgive. As Jesus, our great example. Let's pray. Father, you've really been teaching me this past couple months about forgiving, being forgiven, learning to forgive, and to continue to forgive when the, when the arrows and the darts and the accusations come up in my head. And uh, continue to work on me in that. It's a lifelong process. Thanks for the opportunity to share what you've taught me with this crowd today. And um, thank you for giving something of mine that was so great that I can never repay. And it was all done because you love me. In your name, amen.
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And we thank you for this message today that reminds us of just how much you forgive us. How much, if we come to you and ask you for that forgiveness, it is there. And Lord, although we, we should strive to stay away from those sins, it is without doubt that we will be there. We will, we will, they will happen. But Lord, let us forgive. Let us forgive the same as you have forgiven us. And that includes forgiving ourselves for things that we know that we've done. Lord, when we come to you, you will bless us and forgive us. This we ask, remembering that your son died to forgive us of our sins. Amen. God be with us till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you With his sheep securely hold you God be with us till we meet again Go in peace